Welcome to News for CHROs, This Week in HR Policy, brought to you by HR Policy Association, the premier group for chief human resource officers and senior HR executives at multinational and U.S. employers. My name is Henry Eichelberg, and I'm the chief operating officer of the association, and this podcast will provide listeners with every single significant human resources, public policy, and key best practice development each week. Okay, so for news for CHROs for the week of November 3rd, 2023, we have HR Policy's Ross Neely, who has detailed this week's AI executive order, which contains significant employment limitations. HR Policy Global's Wen Chao Dong writes two pieces. The first on a recent HR Policy Global workplace survey, which took a look at workplace arrangements around the globe. The second article details benefit perk changes that companies have made to attract Gen X employees. HR Policy and the Center on Executive Compensation's Ani Wong writes about board secession issues and concerns with C-suite turnovers. And HR Policy's Mark Wilson caps us off with a report on this week's, or this month's rather, job report. For this week's lead story, we have AI Executive Order Contains Significant Future Government Involvement by HR Policy's Ross Neely. This week, President Joe Biden signed the Executive Order on the Safe, Secure, and Trustworthy Development and Use of Artificial Intelligence, aimed at ensuring the United States takes the lead in harnessing the potential and managing the expanding risks of AI technology. The broad order addresses potential workplace uses of AI technology that could impact employers as it is implemented. Key highlights relevant to employers from the executive order include, first, new standards for AI safety and security. These include requiring developers of AI systems that pose serious risk to national security, including economic and public health security and safety, to share safety test results with the government and develop rigorous safety standards for AI to mitigate potential harm. Second, supporting workers. The executive order includes measures to address potential job displacement, labor standards, workplace equity, and workforce training, including producing a report on AI's labor market impacts. Third, workplace tracking. The Department of Labor is charged with issuing guidance to employers reiterating that AI cannot be used to track or surveil workers or their productivity in ways that violate their federal labor rights. This builds on recent initiatives by the NLRB General Counsel Jennifer Abruzzo. Fourth, federal contractors. Within 365 days, the Acting Secretary of Labor is directed to issue guidance for federal contractors on non-discrimination in the recruitment process that involves AI and technology-based hiring practices. Fifth and finally, immigration. The order aims to ease employment-based immigration, including H-1Bs for AI experts, streamline visa procedures, promote the U.S. as a destination for foreign tech talent, and assess industry demands for skilled immigrants. So what does the executive order mean for companies? The executive order alone doesn't establish any new regulations for private sector companies. Federal agencies are tasked with creating standards, principles, and guidance. Whether such agencies, like the DOL, will eventually promulgate binding regulation that will impact employers remains unclear in the short term. 
although it is expected in the long term. As for legislation, it's not likely in this Congress. The executive order calls upon Congress to take action as well. Specifically, it urges federal lawmakers to pass bipartisan data privacy legislation, a goal that has been in the works for several years with no immediate progress. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer applauded the president's executive order, but stated the only real answer on AI is congressional action, despite the fact that it will be months, not weeks, before legislation is introduced. So what's the association doing on the advocacy front here? The association has engaged with Congress and the administration and submitted several comments on the topic, including comments to the White House Office of Science and Technology Policy and the Department of Commerce to inform forthcoming AI policies. Second, a letter to the Senate Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions Committee in response to a ROI for information on AI from Senator Bill Cassidy. Third, comments to the White House Office of Science and Technology Policy. So what's next? The agencies tasked with implementing the executive order will begin to take action within their jurisdiction. Depending on the mandate, some agencies will have up to a year to take action, with some due as soon as 30 days. This includes the creation of new government offices and task forces, requiring each federal agency to appoint a chief AI officer and participation in a new White House AI Council. Once agency representatives and the White House AI Council members are named, the association will directly engage to serve as a resource as they pursue principles and recommendations to govern AI use in the workplace. OMB provides guidance on the executive order. On Wednesday, the White House's Office of Management and Budget, more commonly known as OMB, provided additional information on the implementation of the AI executive order within federal agencies. The OMB memo is directed at agency and executive department leaders stating that agencies have until October 1st, 2024 to provide minimum practices for, quote, safety impacting or rights impacting AI, or else stop using any AI that is not compliant with minimum practices. The OMB guidance would establish AI governance structures in the federal agencies, advance responsible AI innovation, increase transparency, protect federal workers, and manage risks from government uses of AI. The guidance is currently for federal agencies only, though it could serve as a model for adaption in the private sector in the future. There are also some of the first signs of global cooperation. Officials from G7 countries have agreed to create an international code of conduct for AI to regulate advanced technologies, including generative AI, with a focus on preventing societal harm, strengthening cybersecurity, and curbing misuse. Separately, to initiate global discussion on comprehensive rules for AI safety, the United Kingdom's AI Safety Summit was held this week. The agenda included discussions on various threats posed by AI, including its potential for weaponizing by hackers or terrorists, as well as concerns about AI's growing popularity and uses. Join us on November 14th as HR Policy and Deloitte Partner for the Implications of AI and Productivity in Government Oversight webinar. The webinar will discuss how regulators in both the U.S. and Europe are working to quickly govern the use of AI and other digital technologies impacting the employee and employer relationship. Please join HRPA to hear how companies are preparing to engage with policymakers to ensure the ability to use these valuable tools without generating excessive government oversight and regulatory restrictions. Next, we have HR Policy Global Workplace Survey indicates work arrangements are stabilizing with challenges by HR Policy Global's Wen Chao Dong. After three years of enduring, after enduring three years of disruptions from COVID, 
companies' work arrangements have finally stabilized. However, employers still face challenges in policy inconsistencies, potential low engagement and productivity due to remote work, and the new return-to-office push. Earlier this year, HR Policy Global conducted a survey across Europe, Asia-Pac, and Latin America. The goal was to comprehend the shift in working model arrangements post-COVID and the driving forces behind it. There were 119 responses from the survey, 54 from Europe, 45 from Asia, and 20 from Latin America. A link to the comprehensive report is located on our website and available to HR Policy Global members. So what were the key findings of the report? First, the prevalence of the hybrid work model has significantly increased, marking a substantial departure from pre-pandemic practices. The most prevalent work arrangement across all regions is the three-day at the office and two days working from home. In terms of governance, regions reported differences in using guidelines or policies to govern their hybrid work model. Third, most companies have no intention of altering their existing work model. However, the implementation of hybrid work models does not necessarily guarantee permanent benefits. Fourth, there remains a notable resistance and reluctance to adhere to the return-to-work office mandate. Fifth, a diverse global workforce does not conform to a one-size-fits-all model, particularly in a hybrid working environment, and it can get more complex depending on industry. Line managers play a pivotal role in communicating and engaging with employees. The report also touched on some challenges. Employers also face challenges related to inconsistency of workplace policy management, added pressure on frontline managers or HR to enforce policies, and potential low engagement and productivity due to remote work. The new return to office push from company leadership adds a new form of pressure on the hybrid work model. So what's next? Before COVID, hybrid work opportunities were scarce and it fell on employees to justify the need for it. The pandemic disrupted this notion within two years, revolutionizing the fundamental understanding of the workplace by proving that many jobs can be effectively performed remotely. No matter what work models the company chooses to adopt, Understanding their business model and collaboratively developing a new narrative which reflects both the requirement of the company and employees is key. Next, we have board's focus on secession with C-suite turnover on the rise by HR Policy and the Center on Executive Compensation's Ani Wong. Almost two-thirds of boards of directors expect a C-suite executive to depart suddenly over the next two years, according to a new survey by corporate board member and Farian advisors. The survey asked more than 200 directors of U.S. public companies how they have addressed succession planning and retention risks. So what are the survey's key findings? First, the problem. Directors said their concerns over involuntary turnover at executive levels are much greater now than pre-COVID and 75% of boards are focusing more on executives two levels down from the CEO. Second, 35% of directors said they either did not have enough information to anticipate executive turnover or weren't sure. The top metrics they wanted to know more about were, first, missed succession planning candidate opportunities, second, competitive pay positioning, and third, value of unvested cash and equity which indicates stickiness. So the solution, what is it? 70% of directors said they would be willing to take a one-year low say-on-pay vote if a special award would help retain a key executive. But only 10% actually have done so. Other points, culture versus compensation. 
More than 80% of directors thought a strong company culture helped retain top C-suite talent, while only 47% thought above-median pay did the same job. Ferriant notes that for this reason, some boards have introduced culture targets to the incentive plan that measure items like employee voice, unwanted turnover, ethics adherence, exit interviews, and so on. The CHRO is presenting on talent. As the center found in its guide to the expanding compensation committee, CHROs are increasingly being asked to present to the board on secession and talent strategy. Ideas for presentation include exposing the board to secession candidates for all senior executive roles and the use of predictive analytics to assess company vulnerability with regard to C-suite turnover. Next, we have Global Companies Benefit from Tailored Perks for Gen X Employees by HR Policy Global's Wen Dong. An increasing number of global companies are actively tailoring benefits to meet the needs of Gen X employees, including support for menopause, elder care, health checkups, and children's education, according to a recent BBC article. With workforces composed of various generations, employers are responding to the changing needs of their employees as they navigate through different phases of life and career. After offering student loan assistance and mental health support to attract Gen Z employees and fertility and caregiver benefits to appeal to millennials, many employers now provide midlife benefits to address the unique challenges of Gen X workers. The article highlighted several companies and the benefit changes they have made to appeal to Gen X, including menopause-specific care, rolled out by Genetech, which features on-demand video consultation with clinicians, classes on managing menopause systems, and referrals to in-person providers. Also, elder care benefits and early cancer detection programs targeting the 50-plus demographic recently introduced by Salesforce. Another example is navigation services for the university admissions process for employee children. Access to backup elder care and in-home care consultation are all new benefits offered by Adobe. These benefits go beyond financial assistance. They express care and foster a stronger emotional bond with employees. A Gardner survey last year revealed that a well-customized benefit strategy can increase employee retention by 11% and boost productivity by 12%. Employers can also benefit from these new perks. In a volatile economy, companies face pressure to allocate resources wisely. Instead of increasing expensive insurance and 401k contributions, They can supplement with more cost-effective options, enabling them to introduce these new specifically tailored benefits. Next up, we have Labor Market Further Cools in October by HR Policy's Mark Wilson. This month, job gains in just three industries masked weak or no job growth in most other industries, and the unemployment rate rose to 3.9%, up from 3.5 in July. Employers added just 150,000 payroll jobs in October and August, and September job gains were revised down a combined 101,000 jobs over those previously reported. Just three industries accounted for 86% of monthly job gains. Healthcare, with almost 60,000, state and local government, with almost 50,000, and construction, with just over 23,000. Most other industries saw little change. The UAW and Hollywood strikes held back job gains. 
Manufacturing jobs fell by 35,000 in October, reflecting a decline of 33,000 in the motor vehicles and parts. Annual wage growth also cooled to 4.1%, down from the 43 to 4.4% range it has been since March 2023, and significantly lower than the 5.4% wage gain we saw in August 2022. Separately, the BLS also reported that the rate of hiring and separations have both slowed significantly over the last two years, despite job openings remaining relatively high. Is there further slowing ahead? While strike settlements will boost job gains next month, tighter financial and credit conditions are likely to weigh on economic activity and hiring going forward. Households are cutting back on spending as gas and food prices remain high, college load payments restart, and wage gains slow. And that's it. Thanks for listening to News for CHROs This Week in HR Policy. I'm Henry Eichelberg with HR Policy Association, the premier trade association for chief human resource officers and senior HR executives. For more information about the association, visit our website at www.hrpolicy.org. And we'll see you next week for the next News for CHROs.